excited to be with you. Uh, it's been just a fun weekend for us to, to get out of Oxford and obviously come visit incredible city of New Orleans. Um, but we, uh, we served alongside some of your team yesterday, and our team just raved about how much fun they had last night as we were driving back to the hotel and eating supper and just all the good times we had and the funny things that kids said and um, talking about Jesus and talking about Easter with them. Um, and so it was a joy, and we had a, had a truly great time. Uh, as they've already told you, my name is Jack Schultz. I'm the college pastor at First Baptist Oxford, and so I get to serve with our students. And so we had a small team of them join us this weekend and come. And uh, we're just so blessed at how God has, has grown our ministry and, and worked in our uh, campus at Ole Miss. And so um, we're excited to just be a part of what God's doing here as well. Um, and we believe God's moving in your body of believers. And so um, we just came this morning to bring a word to you. Uh, and so we're going to be in the book of Isaiah uh, in chapter 6, if you want to turn there and, and be in Isaiah chapter 6 with me. Um, this concept that we're going to talk about this morning is a little bit of a churchy word, a churchy concept, uh, but when God began to teach me several years ago about what the word glory meant, it started to change the way that I walked with the Lord, it started to change the way I followed Jesus, it changed the way I did ministry. Uh, and so I want to just share a little bit about that with you this morning to give you a fresh vision, to encourage you about who Jesus is, who God is, uh, and, and, and how we should worship him. And so we're going to read the first several verses of Isaiah 6 together. And so we'll, we'll start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2, above him were seraphim. Each of them had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am, an, am, excuse me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This is an incredible passage uh, that, that God has given us as Isaiah gets this glimpse of heaven. He gets this glimpse of God seated on his throne. And, and if we really start to comprehend and understand what Isaiah is saying about God here, we will be blown away. And so um, several years ago, there was this trend that, that people started doing on social media and on, on the Internet where... Um, they would take these really cool moments in sports, like the winning touchdown pass, right? I know many of you are probably Saints fans around here. So they'd take the winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl for the Saints, and they would put it to the song, My Heart Will Go On, right? You all know that. I think it's Celine Dion from the Titanic. 
Um, and for whatever reason, that just made these moments all the more glorious. It was like, this is something new. This is awesome. Um, and so, like, I think that year Clemson won the national championship over Alabama on a last-second pass. And so they put, my heart will go on to that. And then they, like, took Donald Trump's inauguration and put, my heart will go on behind it. And suddenly it was like, this is a little bit better. Um, and so we've got just these awesome moments. And then you put, my heart will go on, and there's this element of glory. It just seems like, wow, this is incredible. Um, and, and so I think that um, we, we get this glimpse of these moments, right, in life, and we're like, okay, that's, that's glory. And there are things in our lives, right, we, we ate really good po'boys for dinner last night. That is glory. Man, that's good, right? Um, but when we start to understand what glory really is, is when our lives are changed. And so we get glimpses of God's glory in our life. God's glory is on display in his creation. God's glory is on display in the tastes of food that he gives us. God's glory is on display in the athletic ability of people that we like to watch sports or in music, right? That's why people go to concerts and they scream and they yell and they dance because there's glory on display. But the world has taken many forms of glory and they've twisted it. And so we need to understand what glory really is. And so there's a philosopher by the name of G.K. Chesterton, um, and, and he says this. He says, when we cease to worship God, we don't worship nothing, we worship anything. And so when our hearts are not focused on Jesus, when our lives are not centered on Jesus, it's not that we just aren't worshiping nothing, we're just worshiping anything else. We're worshiping all the other worldly, earthly things in our lives. And so this pursuit for glory, this constant search in our lives for glory, this vacuum in our heart for glory is filled only with Jesus. We can only be satisfied by Jesus. And so there's a couple of passages uh, that we'll turn to and look, but we, we're going to just be really anchored in Isaiah 6 to see this glory. And so the first thing that Isaiah says, when he, or the first thing that Isaiah says he sees when he, when he enters the temple is um, the Lord exalted. He's seated on the throne and he's got this robe and the train of the robe fills the temple. Some translations even say the hem of his robe fills the temple. And so I, I, have, a, I have a guess that this temple that God is in is larger than this room. But just for our comprehension, just for our imagination, imagine that the, the temple, the room that God is sitting in is the size of this room. And the Bible says that the hem of his robe or the train of his robe fills the temple that's how massive that's how immense God is that the train of his robe fills this room and so Isaiah steps into this temple and he sees God seated and the first thing Isaiah has to say is the hem of his robe and he's, he's showing us how grand and how great and how big God is and then he says um there are these seraphim. There's these um, eternal, heavenly beings that are praising and worshiping God. And so they've got um, different wings. And he says they've got two wings that cover their feet. Okay, And so covering their feet is a, a sign, a symbol of their createdness. They recognize, as they are in the presence of the holy, glorious God, that they're created. And that if God decided that they shouldn't exist anymore, they wouldn't exist. But because God has decided that they exist, they exist. 
And so by covering their feet, they're acknowledging and recognizing, hey, we're created. And then they have uh, wings that um, cover their eyes or their faces. And so in the presence of this holy and glorious God, they, they're covering their faces. They can't look full on to his glory. And then with, with two, they uh, fly. But, but the depiction here in Isaiah is, is this incredible, majestic God that these seraphim spend their whole lives worshiping. Several, several years ago, I play volleyball every Thursday night with a group uh, in town, a lot of international students and different people, but I play volleyball every Thursday night, and several years ago, a young lady named Nikita showed up to play volleyball with us. Well, uh, I came to find out that Nikita was an all-American volleyball player at Ole Miss. Um, and so Nikita shows up, and it just because that's, this is how luck works out for me, all night I ended up right across the net from Nikita, okay? And so I know all of you are looking, thinking, wow, he's a tall, athletic specimen. Um, but Nikita was like four inches taller than me, and I just had, I could do nothing. And so all night long, she just hit the ball right back over. It was no contest. Um, but let me tell you, I didn't bang my chest and tell everybody, look how good I am at volleyball that night. Didn't, didn't do that. Uh, it, was not a, it was not a good night for my ego. Um, and so I felt very small in Nikita's shadow. And I've thought about my ability and my height and, and just my general ability to play volleyball in the presence of Nikita. How did Isaiah feel in the presence of a holy God? And that's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, I've got nothing on this incredible holy God. And so the, the seraphim, not only are they covering their faces and they're covering their feet, but they're, they're crying out this incredible phrase. They say, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord Almighty. Notice they say it three times. And so we've got this word holy, but they're, they're emphasizing it. Okay? And so Isaiah, Isaiah is, is telling us about these seraphim crying out about holy, holy, holy. And this word holy means uh, set apart. It means that, that God is a cut above. He's, um, his love is a greater love than our love. His righteousness is, is a righteousness that we can't really reach or comprehend. And so he's set apart from us. And as they cry out, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. They're saying, look, the whole earth, everything that's created has his glory in it and it's on display. Will you just see it? Will you just look at it? And so I want us to think about that word holy. Um, because we hear these churchy words like glory and holy, and we don't always comprehend what we're saying. But if we're saying God's a cut above, if we're saying he's set apart, we're saying, hey, he has the authority. If, if God's holy, he has the authority. He has the ability to make laws and, and rules in the Bible that we don't really understand. And, and you know what? In the circumstances of our life that we don't understand, God, God can be at work. And so when we're worshiping Him for being holy, we're saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to praise You and worship You regardless of our circumstances. We're going to trust and believe that you, you have ways that are not our ways. You have thoughts that are not our thoughts. And we're going to believe that You're set apart. And ultimately, His righteousness. He's so much more righteous, right? 
He's so sinless that we, we recognize in his presence that we just don't measure up. Uh, Jonathan Edwards has a, had a really interesting quote. He said, um, he defined glory this way. And so as we're talking about holiness and now we're talking about glory, he said, glory is the outshining of internal excellence. And so the internal excellence of God is outshining in the world, in his creation, in us. The outshining of his internal excellence. He says it's the express weight or value or importance of something. And so as we're talking about God's glory being holy, it's a set-apart glory. It's this excellence that, that is better than anything we know. And so when we see um, the Bible talk about God's holiness, when, we talk, when it talks about God's righteousness, we're saying that God is better. God is more than what we can comprehend. And so um, in, in the beginning of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And then it goes on to talk about Jesus being on the cross. And so in a moment, when, when the Son of God hangs on the cross, God is displaying the fullness of His glory. He's displaying the holiness of His love, that He loves us so much that He's willing to send His Son to pursue us to the cross. But how does that become practical in our lives? How does understanding God's glory being on display, His excellence being on display, impact us? And it's really interesting because the Bible really makes faith about looking, about seeing God's glory. And so if you um, study later on, we're not going to really spend a whole lot of time there, but if you want to at some point study uh, chapter 33 of the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, um, Moses, Moses says he wants to see God's glory. And so God hides Moses in a cleft, and he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let just my goodness pass by you. You can't handle all of my glory all at once. So I'm going to let just my goodness pass by you. And so God does that, and Moses comes down from the mountain, and his face is glowing because he's been in the presence of God's goodness, because he's seen God's goodness. And so when we're in the presence of God's glory, when we spend time in his word, when we spend time in the body of believers, and we experience God's glory, our lives should outshine that. Our lives should show that. Now, if your face starts glowing, you may want to see a doctor. I don't know about that. But, but if your life starts glowing, that's a good thing. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I want us to think really quickly about three things um, in, in when, we, when we see God's glory, three things that happen to us. And the first thing is in the view of God's glory, we see our own sinfulness. Okay? Um, and so when we, when we look at this passage in Isaiah 6... Isaiah paints this picture of God's glory, and then in verse six or verse five, rather, his response is, "Woe is me." That's a weird thing. We don't really say "Woe is me" anymore. But he says, "Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips." So Isaiah is in the presence of God, and the the, the first thing he thinks is, "Woe is me. I am ruined." What does that word "ruined" mean? Ladies, if, if your kid does something that ruins a dress or a shirt, 
you're probably not going to wear that back out, right? You're not going to try to pull off that look because it's ruined. You don't reuse things that are ruined. They, they're they're not, not useful. They're trash. And so Isaiah is saying, hey, I am ruined. There is nothing good. There is nothing useful about me. Woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so he sees how righteous and how glorious and how wonderful God is. And he recognizes, wow, how sinful am I? How much do I not deserve that presence of God? And so we've fooled ourselves, I think a lot of times, we've fooled ourselves into thinking that we're good enough, right? The world tries to, to convince us that just be good enough. And so we, we spend our lives comparing ourselves to our neighbors and, and to our friends, our family, and to the world around us. Instead of comparing ourselves to the holiness and the glory of God. And so think about um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 says, uh, You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. But God, who is rich in love. And so we get this declaration from the Bible that says that you are dead in your sins. You're not just bad in your sins, but you're dead in your sins. And you need to be raised to life. And that's the gospel that we believe. That's the gospel that we follow, is that we were dead in our sins, and then God made us alive. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. 6.23, right? Yeah. Um, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so, when we're in the presence of God, when, when we're in the Word, the Bible reminds us that, hey, you are sinful. The wages of your life is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Jeremiah 2, because it's talking about God's people have quit worshiping Him, and they've started... Um, going to these empty cisterns. And God is so frustrated because he says, not only have you left me, the God who has loved you, the God who has created you, but you have left me for empty cisterns, cracked cisterns that will not hold water. And so he's saying, you've left this God who is so good and who will give you everything to follow and to believe the world that has empty cisterns that will not satisfy you. And so as we think about our own sin, that's what we're doing. We're searching for everything else, everything else to have glory instead of finding God's glory. And so in God's presence, we're going to see our own sinfulness. We, we need to make sure that we haven't lost a taste for God. But the second thing that we're going to see after we've seen our own sinfulness is that we're going to be satisfied in our salvation. We're going to be satisfied in our salvation. And so, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it does. It says you were dead in your sins, and it paints this hopeless picture that there's nothing you can do to get out of your sin, to get out of your death. And then it says, but wait. But God, but Jesus did this. 
I always tell our middle school students that there's a big but in the Bible. Um, and that tends to get more laughs from the seventh graders than it does from anybody else. But this big but in the Bible is but God, that he steps in to our hopelessness. And he provides a way out. He provides a solution. And when we've understood the depravity, when we've understood the hopelessness and the sinfulness, then when we see the salvation, it is incredible and it's satisfying and it's the only thing that we could desire. When we see the glory of God, the righteousness of God, it changes everything. Um, And so think about... um, It's really interesting. In the book of Numbers... The Israelites are wandering and they're complaining and they're just being just terrible, right? They're just whining and griping at God because, well, God's just not done enough. And then they start getting bit by snakes. And then they're all of a sudden crying back out to God, God, save us, spare us from this. And God's solution is really a little bit strange if you think about it. God tells the people to look at a snake that's been nailed to a piece of wood. So let's raise up this piece of wood and look at this snake, and you'll be healed. It's kind of weird. Like if I walked in here today and said, hey, if uh, anybody's got cancer, look at this snake, and uh, you'll be healed, right? That, that's weird. Why is that the instruction? Because it's pointing toward another piece of wood that we're going to look at. That years and years later, God was going to provide the Son of God to be nailed to a piece of wood. And when you look at that, you'll be healed. When you see the Son of God nailed to a cross for your sins, and you believe and you follow Him, you'll be saved. And so we see God's glory on the cross. We see the holiness of His love on the cross. And when we understand that that God has loved us that much... There's nothing that can compare. There's nothing else that we want. And so we've been made alive. We are new creations. And then the third thing that we're going to see from this passage is, um, if you look, continuing down, after Isaiah has been healed in verse 6 and 7, he hears in verse 8 a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And so Isaiah's response, after, after seeing his own sinfulness and the incredible experience of his salvation, his response is, send me. I'll tell people. I want, to, I, want to, I want others to know this. I want to be a part of spreading that message, spreading that gospel, so that nobody is left behind. God is looking for somebody who understands what it's like to have a guilty conscience, a guilty life, and then to be saved. And he says, I need somebody who understands that, who's experienced that to go. Let me send them. And Isaiah is willingly ready to go. And so one of our students, Anna Kate, was in Italy last week. She doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, but she was in Italy last week uh, on mission, and so they were sharing the gospel with uh, students in Italy. Um, And there was one particular Italian man in Italy that was attracted to one of the girls in their group and so he was kind of stalking her and making her feel a little bit uncomfortable but she pulled out her cube, right? I don't know if you, any of you know what the cube is but it's a cube with the Easter story on it 
um, and she starts sharing the gospel with her Easter cube. And so um, even her stalker she was able to share the gospel with, right? And so Anna Kate told us that story as we were driving down here, and we all laughed and got a kick out of it. But what a picture. Even people who maybe are a little irritating to us, maybe people that we don't know very well, share the gospel. Do we love them enough to send ourselves, to have God send us out to share the gospel? I think about this weekend. I mean, we've eaten good in New Orleans, right? I mean, I think Noah didn't even eat dinner last night because we've eaten so much this week and we've had beignets and everything else because the food here is just so good. But we're sending pictures and posting, posting pictures of all the food we're eating. And, you know, texting, I'm texting my parents about, oh, you guys can't believe the po' boy that I ate tonight and everything else. When we've eaten good food, we want to tell people about it. When we've seen a great movie or a great TV show, we're calling people to tell them, oh, you have got to see this. It is so good. All the more when we see the glory of God, when we see the excellence of God outshining in the world. When we see the excellence and the glory of God outshining in in His Word and, and on the cross, we want to tell people about that. And so we get this incredibly uh, beautiful picture from Isaiah of the Lord seated on His throne. And His response is pretty natural as you follow it through. Woe is me. And then God steps in and He spares him and He saves him. And Isaiah's response is, Here I am, send me. This life is yours. I love the, the hymn, I Surrender All. Because the response is, I've got everything that I could possibly need in that glory. That glory and that salvation is so satisfying to me that I've got everything I could possibly need. And if there's something that I don't have that I do need, God is holy to provide it. God is holy enough to have control over the things of this world. He's holy enough to have a reason for the way he acts and behaves to provide when we need it. And so the world around us needs that message. But not only that, we need that message. Day in and day out, on a daily basis, we need to remind ourselves, woe is me. I am ruined without the gospel. And then we need to remind ourselves that God has stepped in. Tim Keller has said this, and I love this quote. He says, the the greatest desire of our heart is to be fully known and fully loved. And so every day, remind yourself that God knows everything about you. He knows the worst of the worst about you, and He knows the best of the best about you. And He chose to send His Son to die for you. And if you will remind yourself of that every day, that God knows the worst about me, and yet He still loves me, it will transform the way you view yourself, and the way you view God, and then the way you love other people. Because then you will see, even in the worst of others, even in the worst of other people, the glory and the excellence of God steps in and solves it. And so I'm so thankful that you have allowed us to be a part of your church this weekend, your 
believers this weekend. I'm so thankful that First Baptist and Live Oak can partner together, uh, even five hours apart. We can partner together in ministry. Uh, And so I hope that you have been encouraged by our group this weekend. I hope that you're encouraged by this word from Isaiah. That we've got this really incredible God who is full of glory. And we just need to continue to glimpse that. Get your eyes off of yourself, off of this world, and focus your gaze, focus your eyes on Jesus. And so I think Cole's going to come lead worship for us one more time. And uh, as he does that, I'm going to pray for us. Um,